And you made a very good point about deeper conversations and introversion, because one of the signature traits of an introvert, as you know well, is that they like to have a fully formed thought before they open their mouth, while extroverts tend to think by talking to people. And I always joke with clients of mine that have introversion that it's really good that somebody actually thinks before they open their mouth and say something. But you raise a really important point about small talk, which is, and we were talking about this informally before you know, the podcast, which is a lot of books on small talk really try to uh, teach you how to be the life of the party. And it's important that you be who you are. And I'm perfectly okay with an introvert who isn't much for classic small talk, who wants to have meaningful, deep conversations and want them to, to matter. And so to me, conversation skills should support being who you are, not being who you aren't. Hello, and welcome to episode 95 of the Quiet and Strong podcast, especially for introverts. I'm your host, David Hall, and the creator of quietandstrong.com. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to understanding the strengths and needs of introverts. Introversion is not something to fix, but to be embraced. Normally, we will air each episode on a Monday. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform. Leave me a review. That would mean a lot to me. Tell a friend about the podcast. Help get the word out there that introversion is a beautiful thing. Rich Gallagher is a psychotherapist based in upstate New York who specializes in treating anxiety disorders. A former customer service executive and public speaker, he is the author of numerous communication skills books, including What to Say to a Porcupine, The Customer Service Survival Kit, and How to Tell Anyone Anything. His books have been published in eight languages, and he has personally taught over 35,000 people worldwide how to communicate better in difficult interpersonal situations. Rich has been published or featured in Time Magazine, CNN.com, Business Week, Dale Carnegie Training, Morning Drive Radio, and numerous other media outlets. I am very excited for my guest today, Rich. Rich, welcome to the Quiet and Strong podcast. Hi there, David. It's great to be here. And I'm really honored to be on this podcast. I love the way you frame introversion as a strength, as a, as a normal personality trait. I very much am aligned with that. So it's, it's, it's great to be here. All right. Thank you. Rich, I, I heard you on another podcast because small talk is definitely a big topic, an important topic for introverts. You know, some introverts lack the skills or have shyness or anxiety around it. Others may be perfectly confident, but they just don't enjoy it. They want to get to the deep topics. And so I heard you on another podcast and you really, on that podcast, you hit things to consider with shyness, anxiety, and introversion, and they're not the same thing. And then, you know, I was intrigued and I picked up your book and you really addressed those topics of shyness, social anxiety, and introversion. And I'm really glad you're here today because I think this will be a great conversation. So you're now a therapist. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the different things you've sure. done in your journey to becoming a therapist. And now you really work with people with anxiety, but also coach people with small talk. Sure thing. Well, first of all, I'm kind of a mutt. Um, I have an engineering degree and I had a very long technical career. And uh, back in the 1970s, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, I was one of Cornell University's first dual majors in engineering and psychology. People joke that I would grow up to build bridges that would talk people out of jumping off of them. Um, 
And uh, and I actually did both careers in sequence. So I became a therapist in my 50s and uh, but had a very long technical career before that. Uh, but in between there, I eventually moved into management and became a customer service executive and then later an author and speaker on how to handle difficult customer situations. So for many years in the early 2000s, I made a living getting up in front of large audiences, pointing at my glasses and saying, get angry at me, <laughs> showing people how to defuse that. I joke that from there, I then decided to put myself in the middle of other people's family conflicts. But in reality, I always had an interest in treating anxiety disorders. It's something I've dealt with personally. Uh, it's something that runs in my family. And I've always been fascinated by the mechanics of how good psychotherapy can really change how well you function when you have anxiety disorders. And so, uh, and so that's why I became a therapist in my 50s and specialized in that. Um, as for small talk as to how I got into that, um, one summer as a therapist, I had a group of about four or five patients who all had severe social anxiety that was interfering with how they were functioning in terms of the, you know, they couldn't go to school or couldn't go to work. And uh, almost in desperation, I wrote up sort of a Betty Crocker cookbook for how to have a nourishing five to seven minute conversation. Because one thing that jumped out at me with all of these clients was they didn't know what to say in a situation. That was what was so frightening for them. It was like they had a 300 watt spotlight on them. They didn't know what to say. Just like if I got pushed on stage without any acting lessons. And so we used this Conversation 101 ebook as a basis for doing a lot of role playing on the mechanics. And it worked really well. All of these people recovered. All these people got back to functioning again. I shared this online with other therapists and in therapy communities. And that's how Rockridge Press eventually uh, got a hold of me and invited me to write this book, Stress-Free Small Talk. Very good. Well, and that's what this show is going to be about today. So we're going to cover all that. Maybe to start with, just, just talk about what is the difference between shyness and social anxiety and introversion? And can extroverts have shyness and social anxiety? That's a great question. And the answer to that is yes, extroverts absolutely can have shyness and social anxiety. And in fact, statistically, they do. Um, Let's start with shyness. Shyness is a normal discomfort of dealing with people because of fear of consequences. So in other words, um, you're nervous about going into a social situation because you're worried that you're going to say the wrong thing or worried that you're going to make a bad impression. Or perhaps you had a bad encounter with somebody and now you know, you're worried about repeating that and having the same consequences happen to you. That affects about half of us. That's almost a universal experience for people. Now, if you break this down in numbers, about 75% of people in North America are extroverts, and maybe 25% are introverts. So if you do the math, there's a lot of extroverts that struggle with shyness as well. Now, I'm going to jump ahead to social anxiety. Social anxiety is like shyness on steroids. So not only are you uncomfortable about it, which is quite normal, but now you have a discomfort, a phobia, a fear of social interaction that's actually interfering with your functioning. So it's making it hard for you to go to work. It's making it hard for you to. Uh, go to social events that you want to go to. Um, some people even have a hard time appearing in public or even getting their mail for fear that somebody might talk to them, that they might not know what to say. And then we get to introversion, which is your expertise. And I love the way you've always framed introverts in your podcast. Uh, introversion is not a disorder. It's not a, uh, a phobia. It's a perfectly normal way of being. And as you point out very well in your other podcast. Many introverts are affable, articulate, and socially adept. Uh, many of them don't need the kind of conversation skills that I teach in this book, for example. But they have a limited amount of energy for dealing with people. 
Extroverts gain energy by interacting with other people. Introverts uh, are drained of their energy by uh, by dealing with them. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes the drain can come from a little too much small talk because the introverts may want to get onto the deeper conversations. And sometimes the deeper conversations can actually be energizing. But like you said, introversion is not something that you treat. It's just something that you understand and embrace. And so, yeah, well said on all those things. Absolutely. And you made a very good point about deeper conversations and introversion, because one of the signature traits of an introvert, as you know well, is that they like to have a fully formed thought before they open their mouth, while extroverts tend to think by talking to people. And I always joke with clients of mine that have introversion that it's really good that somebody actually thinks before they open their mouth and say something. But you raise a really important point about small talk, which is, and we were talking about this informally before you know the podcast, which is a lot of books on small talk really try to uh, teach you how to be the life of the party. And it's important that you be who you are. And I'm perfectly okay with an introvert who isn't much for classic small talk, who wants to have meaningful, deep conversations and want them to, to matter. And so to me, conversation skills should support being who you are, not being who you aren't. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, it's something I've struggled with earlier, you know, learning to make conversation. But I did realize it was needed to get to the conversations that I wanted to have to build the relationships I wanted to have. Because again, that's a myth that we bust on this show. Introverts need relationships. We like people. It's just, you know, the interactions might look a little different that we want, but small talk is a necessary part of all that. But sometimes, you know, it just depends on the situation. You can get better at it. Sometimes I do enjoy it. And every once in a while, I might avoid some if I can. But, you know, it's a, it's a very important part. If for those that need to get better at it, you can. That's right, because it's really a matter of skills. And there's an important historical and biological purpose behind the kind of small talk that's helpful for us. And that dates back to when we were cave people. Because when you ran into an okay cave person, you had no idea if that person was there to help you or to kill you and take your possessions. And so when you're uh, on a date with somebody, when you're in a job interview, when you're alone in an elevator with somebody, the things you say transfer very important data to the other person about how safe they are, uh, whether you have connections in common, whether you're somebody that they want to work with. Um, and so those are the kind of skills that people want to develop to get more of what they want in their life. One thing that I talk a lot about too is introverts, we think and then we speak. And on most of the, most of the time, for me, that's not a choice. That's just the way mm -hmm. my mind works. You know, sometimes if I've thought about something a lot, like ironically, introversion, I could speak forever on introversion and not have to think first, <laughs> then yeah. I, you know, I might not have to think first. But if you don't understand that, and the extrovert is thinking out loud and you're, mm -hmm. you're waiting to think. And maybe, especially when you're younger, people are saying, why are you so quiet? Then if you don't understand that, that can mm -hmm. cause shyness and anxiety by yeah. just not understanding how you may be different. But understanding that it's a strength, that you are a deep thinker. And mm -hmm. like you said in a second ago, it can also keep you out of trouble for thinking first <laughs> before <laughs> you speak. It, if you understand it's a strength and also just sometimes letting people know I, I'm thinking, you know, or give me some time Absolutely. to think about that, you know? Absolutely. And being comfortable with silence is actually a good skill to have in a conversation as well. But you've touched on something that actually I think dovetails very importantly with 
conversation skills for introverts, which is that learning to have a good conversation with somebody, especially in terms of small talk, is involves, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, mechanics. And so, for example, you know, an introvert that likes to think first before they speak, one of the cardinal rules for opening conversations, you need to, to have preparation ahead of time, to have prepared openings, prepared questions that uh, you'd be likely to want to ask the kind of people in front of you at whatever your event is. And so that preparation dovetails very nicely with the need to think first and so forth. A little later in the podcast, we'll also talk about what I think is the, the core of having a good conversation is how to acknowledge other people. Because there's a lot of mechanics about what you say back to somebody when they share something about themselves or when they answer a question of yours so that they feel heard and felt. Those are all skills. You learn them, you pull them out of your back pocket when you need them. Um, when the, when somebody with social anxiety is in a conversation, it feels like a musical improvisation. They're on stage with a 300-watt spotlight on them, listening to every note, and if they make one wrong note, everybody notices. And in reality, if you go to a restaurant and listen to people having nourishing conversations with each other, there is an underlying set of mechanics that makes those conversations work well. And when you know those mechanics, that takes away a lot of the fear and lets you be an introvert and still have a very good conversation. Yeah. So speaking of fear, I think I read in your book that you didn't necessarily agree with feel the fear and do it anyway. Well, it might be wrong with that. And how do we change our thoughts around our fears that we have? I've got two problems with slogans like that. Uh, first okay. of all, um, you know, overcoming fears, especially when it comes to conversations, is, you know, like I'm mentioning, a matter of skills, not being brave. Um, if you haven't learned those skills, all the bravery in the world isn't going to help you have a better conversation. So, and I, I look at this as no different from acting, music, any other skill in life. Uh, the second thing is, if you have those skills, which is about a third of people with social anxiety, um, just white knuckling your way through situations, I find often will sensitize people to situations that I want them to desensitize to. So for me, good treatment for any fear involves first changing the way you think about it, which doesn't involve any bravery at all. It involves, you know, breaking down, you know, the specifics of what you're telling yourself and uh, and reframing those statements and then gradually and comfortably learning to be fully present in situations you're avoiding a little bit at a time. So, so the feel of fear and do it anyway types, um, they're talking about the very limited case where you bravely do something and then you say, wow, I did that. And you feel better about it, which does happen sometimes in some situations. Um, but I think that those are good motivational slogans and generally very bad therapy. Yeah. What I say too, is it's the fear that's causing you the anxiety. And if you don't change that thought, the next time you're likely going to feel that fear again because you didn't change your thought. Like, you know, That's this right. isn't really scary and there's lots of different ways you can approach that. But if you're scared to approach a situation, you got to think about that. Like, why is this scaring me? What, you know, how can I change my fear around this? But if you don't do that, if you just keep going into the same situation and trying to get out of your comfort zone, as they say, you you need to change your comfort zone and need to say, this isn't Correct. a scary thing. This is a normal thing that people do. I can do this, those kinds of exactly. things. Exactly. Um, you know, and this ties in with one of my other pet peeves, which is positive thinking. Positive thinking has no clinical research behind it. Uh, positive psychology actually does. And that's uh, actually has a uh, an Ivy League research department at Penn. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> the difference with that kind of psychology, what I call cognitive behavioral psychology, which is what I practice, involves capturing the story you're telling yourself in writing, looking at so-called common cognitive distortions or errors in thinking where you're over-exaggerating, predicting a future that may or may not happen, using emotionally rather than logically charged reasoning, and where you rewrite those statements so that those distortions are no longer true. Um, a good example is when I first started making a full-time living as a public speaker, uh, I thought to myself, boy, I'd better not make a mistake. It could destroy my career if something goes wrong here. So here's the reframe. After years of doing this and you know, uh, getting my knees skinned and so forth in the business, um, what I eventually would tell myself before I got up in front of an audience was, I do this 40 or 50 times a year. I can't possibly do this this often without completely bombing at least twice. <laughs> and so if today's my day, today's my day. I'm still going to get paid anyway. Mm. And, and that reframe then helps me feel better as I go into the situation. Yeah, that's great. And I love public speaking. And some people are like, what? You're an introvert? I love it. What we're talking about is something that's really helped me overcome anxiety is, you know what? I'm going to prepare, like we've been saying, I'm going to prepare for this speech. I'm going to do my best preparation. The reason they're asking me to speak is because I know this topic. I'm an expert in this topic. But like you're saying, I am not perfect. And the thing that I've told myself is, guess what? Nobody in this audience is perfect either. You know, mm -hmm. And that's Absolutely. really helped me. But again, introverts can love public speaking too. And I love everything that you're saying. You're saying you're, you're, uh, you know your topic, you're there for a reason, the audience is in your care uh, because of that. Uh, and but on top of that, you also get to be human. Things can go wrong and it's okay. Uh, any professional speaker who's done this for a long time learns how to handle hecklers, learns how to handle situations where the energy isn't right in the audience. And uh, again, those are skills too that you just develop over time. And it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the hecklers or, or maybe it's even just the questions and answers. You know, sometimes it's hard to prepare for all that. So right. I, we do our best, you know, and that's, exactly. that's you need to learn to work around those things, too. Exactly correct. I mean, once, for example, you know, I, I used to give a lot of you know talks on how to handle difficult conversations. And I had one technique through defusing somebody who talked too much. And I had somebody come up on stage. And they just talked and talked and talked over me. So I finally turned to the audience and said, I've never said this in 20 years of speaking. I give up. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you picked somebody good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, in your book, you give a, a guide to good to conversation starters. And I think in the book, you call it the good, bad, and the ugly. Tell us yes. about that. The uh, I think having prepared openings is really important because the first impression will cover a multitude of sins in a conversation. Uh, good openings are things that build connection with the other people or help the other person learn about who you are. So to me, good openings are sharing your interests, uh, asking the other person about their interests, asking the other person what they're like or what their preferences are. Bad openings are the weather because that's really boring generally. Um, I think relationships is something you have to be careful about because unless you know somebody really well, if you ask, you know, how's your family uh, and they just got divorced or junior just got arrested again, that may be putting them in an awkward situation. So it's best to let them lead about their personal lives and their relationships, for example. In terms of the ugly, you know, we get into areas like religion, politics uh, or criticizing anything. And I think you have to be extremely careful about 
criticism. A couple of personal examples that I could think of when people have talked to me, for example, is back when I was in college, I was out to dinner with a couple of fellow students and they were ripping their professors to shreds. And finally, they lit into the department chairman of our department, not realizing that he was my father. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> they had no idea. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I was polite. I smiled. I didn't say anything. I didn't defend them. You know, but uh, you know, it still let that made an impression on me. Uh, or if people complain about other other groups of people, for example, not knowing what your connections might be. I have an Irish surname, uh, you know, through intermarriage, but I'm actually a Czech citizen. I'm very proud of my heritage. Uh, so you may not know, you know, who you're criticizing if you you know complain about your last trip to Prague, for example. Right. Right. Wow. So again, it, it can be a skill that's learned, you know, making good conversation. The other thing is sometimes people say as a general statement, introverts are great listeners. Mm -hmm. And I don't fully agree with that. I think we can be, mm -hmm. but you know, I think that sometimes it comes from maybe like the, the person you invited up on stage, maybe they're just talking nonstop. <laughs> you know, so I don't like it. I don't like introverts characterized as good listeners just because maybe the other person is is talking and thinking they're being listened to. So, but introverts can be good listeners, but I think for some people yes. it might come more naturally than others. How can we learn to be good listeners? I, I really like what you just said, and I agree a hundred percent with it because I'll agree with that statement this far introverts, because again, they tend to, to think and give space for, you know, their own thought process. They're better than most people giving people the time and space to respond in a conversation. But that is not listening. Listening is a matter of acknowledging the other person, which is a skill that gets learned. And I think it's the most important skill. So, you know, since you brought that up, let me walk you through how you acknowledge people, because that's the thing that gives introverts the most control in a conversation. It gives them the confidence to know that whatever the other person says they can pull a response out of their back pocket that will make the other person feel heard and felt. And I call that the four octane levels of acknowledgement. The lowest octane level, which is very mechanical, very simple, but also very powerful, is, or is paraphrasing. Paraphrasing is simply where you take what the other person says, gift wrap it in your own words, and the more you use your own language to play it back to them, the better. And you simply hand their thought right back to them. So somebody says, my son just got into college. And I respond by saying, wow, so your son got expected in university. That's wonderful. Um, that's a good acknowledgement that makes the other person feel good. I'll give you an example of how powerful paraphrasing is, even though this is sort of a mechanical bargain basement form of acknowledgement. I'm up on stage in front of 500 people at a major university. And I asked them from the stage, what are your biggest problems? And one person raised their hand and said, graduation audits. People call and say, hi, I'm ready to graduate. And then it turns out they're two credits short or missed a requirement and no, they're not going to graduate. So I asked somebody to come up on stage and role play that with me. And this person did a wonderful job. She yelled and screamed at me about how this was holding up her job and it's all my fault. And so all I did was exactly what I told the audience I would do. I leaned in and I paraphrased everything she said. I said, wow, this is really inconveniencing you. You've got a job in two weeks. We've got to figure out a way to help you graduate as soon as possible. So she's standing there with this look of stunned silence on her face saying, I'm trying to get angry at this guy, and now I don't know what to say. He's taking all my good lines. <laughs> so, uh, so paraphrasing is something that you can pull out of your back pocket anytime you need it. So now I'm going to move on from there to the next octane level, which is 
<clears throat> which is what I call observation. And that's where instead of just handing them back their thought, you're playing back what you think they're feeling. You can't crack open their head and see what they're feeling. So you have to take a guess at it. And guessing is actually okay in that situation. Um, before I became a therapist, I was a crisis line counselor. And we were taught to play back the other person's feelings to say, well, your husband just left you and you're feeling very frightened. And they may come back and say, oh, no, I'm not frightened. I'm angry. But they still appreciate the fact that you're locked in on how they're feeling. The only caveat with this octane level is, unless you have a good connection with the other person, this is the only kind of acknowledgement that could sound patronizing. So if I say, you know, David, I sense you have a lot of anger here, that could come off like, you know, I'm, I'm patronizing you. But if I say, hey, David, that must have been really frustrating. Now we're connected. So I'll put a little asterisk in front of that one uh, to use it with caution. But that can be very powerful. The next octane level, which I like even better because it's even safer and even more powerful, is validation. So, so far, paraphrasing is handing them your, their thought. Observation is handing them their feeling. Validation says, I see how you feel, and I think your feelings are valid. I think you have a right to feel that way. You can do this even if you violently disagree with other people, because all you have to do is just compare them to other people. And you just invite a big crowd into your answer and say, wow, nobody likes having to do their taxes. Everybody hates it when we're stuck in traffic. Um, and so now you're building a connection with them. And think about things like political arguments, for example. You can validate people till the cows come home, even if you violently disagree with their view of the world. Um, so it's an extremely powerful tool for building bridges with people you may or may not agree with. And then finally, the highest octane level is identification, where you say, you know, I would feel that way if that happened to me. And uh, you should only use it if it's actually true. Somebody tells me they're having a difficult pregnancy. I can't identify with that because I'm right. a long <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. So if something really crosses your boundaries, then you don't have to identify with it either. But so you, so you just choose the appropriate octane level, plug in the words, turn the crank, and move safely through the conversation. That's listening. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, another thing I've really learned is to be to be present with that person that you're listening to. Absolutely. Delighting in their company. And you know, I know some introverts, especially with when shyness or social anxiety are there. They may just, you know, someone's it, you're there. You're in a conversation, and when you're shy, you may just kind of respond to their questions and not, mm -hmm. not be present with them. And you know, because you're you're just trying to get through. But really, it's it is a matter of making sure it's a conversation and not just just one sided. Absolutely. In fact, when I coach people who are introverts about conversation skills, that's usually the single biggest thing that I troubleshoot with them is. And I have a rule that I call the three to one rule, which is after every three questions for the other person, share something about yourself so that it's a dialogue and not just an interrogation. You can make that the four to one rule or the three to two rule or whatever fits your personality. But the key is to understand that it's a dialogue that involves a dance with two partners where you're sharing some of yourself in that conversation. Yeah. Sometimes what I do is I may ask them a similar question right back to them that they ask yeah. about me. Right. Absolutely. Cause they've shown interest in that. So that's, that's actually very, uh, that's a very canny technique for keeping a conversation going. You've already established that's something of interest to them. So you're continuing along that thread. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, you don't want to come off as an interrogator, 
I'm definitely guilty of that sometimes because I'm an analytical person and my career has been working with students. And so sometimes I, I want to get a lot of information so I can be the best help. Uh-huh. And sometimes I, I might just say that, hey, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions so I can help you. And that seems to help. And if I don't make that one little statement, then it does feel like an interrogation and they're very uncomfortable. But if I just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. That seems Ooh, to I really help. That. What yeah. you're doing is you're using what I call a framing statement. You're, you're advertising up front what you're about to do and then doing it, which takes away, you know, the uh, the fear that the other person has that you don't know where you're going. Um, you know, I've listened to your other podcasts. You, you're very adroit at, uh, you know, keeping the questions flowing very smoothly. So I'm, I'm imagining that's something that's developed over time. Oh, yeah. And that's why I'm doing this is because it can be learned. Like you will say, you can get really good at this. But for me, I know that when I became more successful is when I understood my introversion. And mm-hmm. to me, there's a lot of people that talk about that. It's a difference in energy, which I believe that, but it's also like it sounds, it's a turning inward. And so I definitely naturally think deeply more of a thinker than a feeler. Some of my introverts out there are more feelers and mm-hmm. that's a big difference, but we spend more time thinking and feeling inside. We go into our heads a lot. And everybody does both. Everybody pays sure, attention absolutely. to the outer world, the inner world. But I've realized that part of me is it's why I'm an introvert is because I'm turning inward to my imagination more often than not. And understanding that, that it's mm-hmm. a gift, that you have gifts with it, and understanding that I think before I speak has made all the difference. I agree 100% with that framing. I mean, for example... The fact that introverts tend to be more fully present with people because of the time and space they give themselves and each other, that can be a huge advantage in a conversation. Think about a networking event, for example, where people are looking to meet people for business reasons, for example. You know, have you ever been to a networking event where people are just, you know, foaming at the mouth to try to make a sale or try to build a connection? Whereas, um, I've discovered this is something I'm a flaming extrovert, and something I've learned from observing other introverts that simply delighting in the company of other people has really built some of my most valuable connections with people with no concern of whether I'm going to sell them anything or whether we're going to cross each other's palms with silver. And that's something that I think introverts have as a natural gift in a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about that networking event you might go to and Mm -hmm. a lot of introverts might dread that kind of thing. You know, we've talked about, it's important to prepare. So you can prepare for the event. You can think about the kinds of things you want to talk about, maybe the people that you want to talk to, all that good stuff. You mentioned in the book that the conversations you have, especially maybe at one of these networking events, is part of your personal brand, is part of your personal branding. Mm -hmm. How do you you make sure that you're building your personal brand as you're starting to have these conversations? I think the key here is to use conversation skills to expose who you are to other people. And that's you and I talked offline about how we both don't like it when books on small talk or conversation skills focus on how to be the life of the party. That's not who you are. Because um, an important purpose of a conversation is to brand yourself to other people because they're not just evaluating you, you're evaluating them as well. You're trying to find people who are your peeps and your tribe and who are compatible with the way you are. And so Branding yourself as somebody who's thoughtful, uh, polite, gives people time and space. Um, you know, let's say if you're going on a date with somebody, you want that person to know who you really are. And uh, 
So, and I'm going to circle back to what you said earlier about framing statements. Um, letting people know using a framing statement what you're like up front and to set those expectations with people. And on a date, in a networking situation, in a job interview, that can be extremely powerful for people. I'll give you an opposite example of that. Um, I used to work at a company in California where um, we taught training courses and they would cater to lunch. If we had visitors who were vegetarian, they'd serve them like a salad or something like that. And so I got in the habit of if we had anybody visiting from India, that we would I would take them out to a good Indian restaurant, for example. And one of the people I took out to, to lunch, who was a professor, the first thing he said to me, he says, hey, Rich, you know what typical Indians are? They're quiet, right? No, that's not me. I've got an ego as big outdoors. And we just hit it off famously <laughs> because he defined himself. And, you know, he and I were very compatible as good friends. And that was a lifelong friendship from there. Very good. At the networking event, I know that something something that introverts may be uncomfortable with is approaching that conversation that may be mm -hmm. already in, taking place, mm -hmm. or maybe they get into the conversation, and then how do they exit the conversation in a good way? I know you've written about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's mechanics to both those situations. Now, first, let's take the situation of breaking into a conversation, which a lot of people find very uncomfortable. Yes. That's actually, that actually breaks down into fairly procedural steps, which is First, you get physically proximate to the group of people and then watch their body language. Are they closing ranks away from you or, are they, uh, or do they not mind that you're on the periphery there? And so just read the energy first and decide if this is a conversation you want to break into. Then if you can, what you do, and this is a skill not just for breaking into existing conversations, but this is also one of the other skills that we teach in the middle of a one-on-one -on -one conversation that you're already in. You look for ledges to climb onto to link whatever the other person is saying to what you want to do. Now, if you're trying to break into a conversation, you, that ledge may take the form of you hear somebody say something, and then you can jump in and say, wow, I'm really interested in that too. Or, you know, here's something I know about that. Uh, one of the shortest job interviews I ever had was I was getting a demonstration of a technical product, and he didn't know anything about my background. And he said, I generated these surfaces using bicubic functions. And I said, oh, very interesting. I did something very similar with bi-quadratic surfaces and averaged the normals. And he turned to me and said, would you like a job? Because <laughs> he knew I spoke his language. Yeah. Um, so, or you can also find these ledges with people. So let's say you know somebody in the group. You can say, hey, John, good to see you again. Um, so again, prepared hooks, physical proximity, and reading the energy is how you painlessly insert yourself into an existing conversation. And when you're in a one-on-one -on -one or a group conversation that you're already in, that also is an ongoing process of looking for ledges to tie what the other person says to things you might contribute or want to talk about. And then you've had a good conversation. How do you uh, exit gracefully when you're ready to exit? Absolutely. Uh, I was on another podcast recently where the host joked about the Irish goodbye, where you just kind of ghost them and leave. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's okay. But the, there's a very powerful psychological principle here, which is psychologists will tell you that people remember the last thing they heard in a conversation. So if you have a knockdown, drag out fight with somebody all day, then end up smiling and shaking hands with them at the end of it, that goes in your memory banks as a good encounter. If you have a great day with your best friend, but you end up with crosswords at the end, that goes in your memory banks as a bad encounter. You can leverage that psychology 
to make the best of a dull conversation by having a very enthusiastic, powerful closing. By saying, wow, it's great. It was great to meet you, George. I have to run to meet, you know, my other colleague here, but I really enjoyed talking to you. Hope we can meet again. So this is one area where being enthusiastic and positive, uh, even if that's a role that you take on, can be very useful. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. You know, it's really acknowledging, you know, that you enjoyed the conversation and that will be remembered. You know, that's absolutely important. Any other advice for attending? Because again, networking, networking events, especially that's, that's a big topic for introverts. Introverts do sometimes struggle. You know, we've, we've had these kinds of conversations on the show. Any other small talk kind of advice for the networking event? I think the important thing in any conversation is the content of the conversation isn't as important as how you make the other person feel. And I'll give you an example of this. When I was 18 years old, I was working at a department store in the stockroom, and there was this incredibly attractive woman there. And the first thing she ever said to me was, you know, I notice you're always shuffling your feet when you walk by, and I wish you would pick up your feet. It's really annoying. So that's not the greatest conversation starter in the world, right? But uh, but the thing is, I reacted with good humor and courtesy and uh, acknowledged and normalized. I don't remember exactly what I said, but whatever I did must have worked because we've been married for 45 years now. Oh, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have done something right. Exactly. So it's uh, so I, I wouldn't obsess about, you know, having the right content, saying the right words. I would just lean on your mechanics and uh, know that those mechanics will carry you. Uh, with with practice. Um, and I guess, you know, I want to circle this back to kind of your whole mission in this podcast, which is it's okay and in fact a strength to be an introvert. And your goal in learning good conversation skills is to learn how to comfortably be you and express you to whoever you're interviewing with, dating, networking with, uh, or, you know, finding yourself sitting next to the bus with. Yeah, absolutely. And I always say too that you can prepare for things, but at the same time, sometimes you're going to be in situations where you you're not going to be prepared, and that's okay. You of know? course, absolutely. And sometimes it might might be, oh, let me think about that for a second, or give me a minute, or maybe I'll call you tomorrow, <laughs> whatever whatever it is. Absolutely. One of the things I teach people is how to be comfortable with silence. For example, you know, the value of actually smiling during a pause is underrated because when you transmit to the other person that you're comfortable with that silence, that gives the other person the time and space to fill in the conversation as well. Um, and silence is often a, a signal that a conversation is ready to be brought in for a smooth landing too. Yeah. And another thing on that, you know, we, we do get very uncomfortable with silence, both introverts and extroverts, and we yes. feel like something's wrong. But I heard once heard someone say, you know what, if there's silence, it means everybody's quiet. So it's OK. <laughs> That's exactly correct. You, you know, the onus is on both people. Conversations are a dance with multiple partners. Yeah. And, uh, and your comfort with silence, uh, with appropriate amounts of silence is something that brands people very well. Yeah. And that's why it's just important to have these kinds of conversations with everybody. So everybody realizes, you know what, it's okay. It's normal. Absolutely. If there's any takeaway message that I would give to your audience, it's to use conversation skills to accomplish the things that you want to be doing that are hard for you, not to be somebody else, not to meet some norm of what a good conversationalist is like. You're perfectly okay as you are. 
yeah, probably you're, you're brilliant as you are. You just need to get to know who that person is. Exactly. Wow. This has been a very helpful conversation. Rich, is there anything else that you want to share today? Well, you know, I think, uh, I, I love the questions you've been asking today because you're framing things. Uh, you're stealing my good lines, first of all, because a lot of techniques <laughs> that you're sharing are things I teach people that we can break down yeah. in mechanics. And uh, so that's really my takeaway message is that, uh, you know, there's hope for skills like conversation. If you look at it in terms of mechanics and not just a fear that you have to overcome. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, about two thirds of people with social anxiety the reason that they're so anxious is because they don't have those skills yet. It's exactly the same as if I tried to act without an acting lesson. Um, and then for the other one third, they're articulate, they're affable, they know exactly what to say, but it's just uncomfortable to be uh, in those situations with people. That is treated differently as a fear or phobia with things like gradual exposure, cognitive behavioral therapy, and so forth. Uh, but really the good news in all of this is that all of these things are treatable and all of these things are things where if there's places you wanna go, uh, their strategies for getting there. Yeah, well said. Well said. That's uh, it's you can overcome your shyness, your anxiety. Mm-hmm. You're not going to overcome your introversion, but you can That's learn right. to understand it and embrace it, and embrace your unique gifts because everybody has them. We just need to understand them. David, I am so honored that you invited this extrovert into your nest. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? Brilliant. Yeah, you know. Um, I'm not opposed, but most of my guests have been introverts, but you have such expertise that you really do understand from the introverted side. And that's extremely useful. Like I said, I highly recommend your book. I also just learned that if you like Rich's book on stress-free small talk, he also has 20 other books. So <laughs> that's right. My latest one actually comes out the, you know, in early November this year, it's going to be a guided journal on anxiety disorders. Very uh, good. The, very good. Yeah. So if shyness is it or social anxiety is it, you can overcome these things. You know, maybe it is understanding your introversion or working with the therapist or working with, with somebody. But introversion, you can definitely understand and learn to embrace. Rich, where can people find out more about your book and the work you do? If you want to learn more about this, visit me online at smalltalkcoach.com. I have lots of free information there. I've got an extensive set of blogs uh, going over a lot of the concepts that we talked about on this. Uh, I'd love to put a link to this podcast there as well. And uh, and also, I also coach people who have individual situations that they want to troubleshoot uh, on a short-term basis. Um, and this is also a link to a lot of the books that I've written. Awesome. Thanks again, Rich. This has been a wonderful conversation. I know people are going to benefit from it. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to further connecting with you. Reach out at david at quietandstrong.com or check out the quietandstrong.com website, which includes blog posts, links to social media, and other items. Send me topics or guests you would like to see on the show. If you're interested in getting to know yourself better, there's now a free type finder personality assessment on the Quiet and Strong website. This free assessment will give you a brief report, including the four-letter Myers-Briggs code. I'll add a link to the show notes. There's so many great things about being an introvert, so we need those to be understood. Get to know your introverted strengths and needs and be strong.